Okay, and we are back with the Sukkot slash Yokanon chapter 7, um, part 2. So, we got cut off in the last recording, but, you know, Brickshan, we keep going. Okay, so, this is this is from Benny B, yet again. Benny B. And he says, uh, he quotes Yevamot 49B, which says, all the prophets looked into a dim glass, parentheses, dark mirror. But Moshe looked through a clear glass, parentheses, shiny mirror. Paul speaks of the ultimate revelation of the Redeemer when all will see through a clear mirror. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Even as I was also fully known. But now faith, hope, and love remain. These three, the greatest of these is love. Wow. Yeah, and you thought you thought he was talking about love between man and a woman? No. <laughs> oh, no. Not, that is not so, my friend. Not so, Paul. really. Yeah. <laughs> not so. <laughs> wow. So the love of Hashem comes out in the sowed of Torah. That's right. Slomo says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we were still on Yochanan chapter 7, verse 4. Uh, and I was going to talk about Besod, which we have been talking about, and uh, and Benny B, uh, his commentary on uh, Yonah. This is what he says about Sod. He says, first of all, Yonah opens up with Yonah ben Amitai, which literally translates to Dove, Son of Truth. Rabbi Daniel Krenzman comments on Yonah's name. Yonah's connection to this aspect of Mashiach ben Yosef is hinted by Yonah, which shares the same gematria, the numerical value, the same value is sowed. Uh, are you kidding me? Nope. Yod, Vav, Nun, Hey is 70. Really, bro? Wow. So, the aspect of the dove is all about the sowed of Torah. And so you think about, we talked about Mashiach has the Torah of Atik, the Torah of sowed, basically. What crowned Mashiach's head when he was mixed with? The Yonah. The Yonah, right. So... There's is also the picture in Melech Shlomo's throne is that above his head was a dove carrying a crown in its 
like in its feet. So literally when he sat on his throne, there was a dove above him with a crown. Good night. So like that, like Melek Shlomo was hinting at, yeah, the one who's called Ben David, the son of David, the king of Israel, like he's going to have a dove crown him. And so we see that that's the sowed and that is actualized in Mashiach. But anyway, uh, so sowed and Yonah, we see that right there. And it says that also the gematria of sowed, if you spell out the letters, so Samic spelled Samic Mem Ka, Vav is spelled Vav Vav, Dalit is spelled Dalit Lamit Tet or Tav. It says if you if you take the gematria of Samic Vav Dalit, spelling it out, that's equal to the gematria of Mashiach Ben Yosef. So if you expand sowed, we're talking about Mashiach ben Yosef. If you contract sowed, we're talking about Yonah. So, yeah. Then it says, if you put this in simpler terms, the word Yonah is 71, and it's equivalent to the word sowed, which is secret plus one. This method is called Im HaKolel. So, when you look at the word sowed, it's technically not that Yonah equals sowed, but Yonah actually equals olive sowed, like the sowed of the olive. And then it says, the word sowed, when spelled out, uh, is equivalent to 566, which we just said is Mashiach ben Yosef. So... Looking at this picture here, we're talking about the fact of Yonah and this whole story is going to teach us about Mashiach ben Yosef on a very, very high level. And it's going to remove us from our ore, which is the ayin skin, and bring us back to the ore, which is the olive skin, which is going to be the olive sowed. So we're going to be on this deep level of yearning for Hashem, loving him, secrets of Torah, but on the level of where Adam was in Gan Eden. And when you restore the Ayin to Mashiach Yeshua's name, we're bringing ourselves into a higher level of understanding the Torah, which only comes through bringing in the converts. That's right. Which, which by the way, if uh, I may, so there's a... There's a scribal tradition to uh, or acronym I should say to learn which letters get the tagin which are the, the crowns Ooh. which literally are the, the thorns mm. on the on the letters themselves Crown of thorns. Uh, so the 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 acronym the way to remember this acronym is literally shotnez gets wow so like literally so like uh sheen uh, what's it? Tet It's really it spells out the word shotness and then I think it's uh, Gimel uh, Sadi, I guess. So they see literally the word shotness and then gets. And so they, they, the, the student asked the rabbi, 
he says, well, you know, why, why shot this? Why shot this? You know, specifically shot this because you know you're not supposed to mix wool and you're supposed to you're not supposed to wear shot this, basically, right? Right. Unless and he said the secret about why the why they chose this acronym was because the the crowns the crowns is how you kill the satan. Oh. The tagine is how you kill the satan. And then, so just kind of elucidated even further. If if you're not, if you don't already see what I'm getting at, is that uh, the tagine also represents the So when you add converts, you're literally killing the satan because huh. you're adding, you're putting the putting the crowns on the on the letters of the Torah scroll. Man, first of all, say la. <laughs> uh, man, so. And and today, in our modern world, in our modern culture, there is a giant movement, first of all, known as anti-missionary. And then there's another movement called Jew and Gentile, one and Messiah. Between those very, very two, like, very far range on the spectrum, they are so far apart, but trying to do the same thing that is absolutely just mind-boggling either way you slice it they don't want converts to you right. so right. you have the people who are like no let's just you just be a gentile and you can just be you know a righteous gentile and you can be a messiah it's like yeah that never worked out that's why mashiach said you know go mikvah them which means go convert them go immerse them go baptize them that all means conversion. So you got that. And then on the other end with anti-missionaries, they're like, oh, no, you don't need to be believing in Yeshua. You need to really get you some true Torah, some uh, unheretical Torah, you know, focus on, you know, the the Peshat level of things. But either way you look at it, there's this picture of refraining from converts. Or... Or yeah, it's okay. You just, you just, you just be a righteous gentile. So don't convert though. Don't become Jewish, because if you become Jewish, and if you convert, which is the same thing, if you become a part of Israel, if you believe in the Messiah, if you keep the Torah, you're killing the Satan. Right. So, is it any wonder then? why conversion and why becoming Jewish and why being Torah observant is so fought against because it's just like that's that's what the wages are. <laughs> and you just wonder why, you know, you got the uh, the ram being caught in the thicket by its horns and you got, you know, mm. Shiach being crowned with thorns. You got uh, the picture of Yaakov, all the kings throwing around his coffin. It looked like, like, like the crown of thorns around his coffin. Mm. It's like, man, what's up with these thorns? And why, why Tagin? You know, why, why, why they call them thorns? It's like, well, because that's how you went off the satan, you know. Like, and it's uh, the the whole thing about writing a sefer Torah, a scroll of Torah. You have to have a thorn to score it. So that right. the letters can be rightly arranged and in, in alignment appropriately on the page. 
So in other words, if there are no crown of thorns, if there are no thorns happening, if there are no converts coming in, the letters of Torah can easily be misaligned. They're out of place. They're uh, sloppily written, so to speak. Chasve Shalom. Uh, and the, the other cool thing is it's not... not the it, it, it's done this way, but it's not a uh, not like it's not like every not every scroll is done this way, but it is done this way. So there is a custom that one person will write the letters, and another person will come later and and put the tagging on on the letters. <laughs> oh my goodness, what is going on with this technology? Just being like, I don't want to record right now. Stand by. why it's cutting out like that <laughs> but Burgesham that I'm recording on backup so uh, but you were saying that there's a custom or not a custom but there's a way of uh, writing the Torah scroll that someone will do the letters and then someone else will come later to add the crowns yeah yeah so obviously that's a picture of how it says that the gospel is first preached to the Jews, and then, and then to the yeah to the converts. To the converts, yeah, to the converts, or um, or like Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. Yeah, you know, oh, there's also that. Stop it! Oh my god. Okay, so can we uh, can we go ahead and uh, go to verse five? <laughs> okay. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it. Alright, so was that did I read verse four or did you read verse four? Uh I read I read first verse four. Oh, okay. Cool. Alright, so verse five, Yokanon seven, verse five says For not even the brothers, the Achim of Rebbe, Melek Hamashiach were believing in him. Big green book, you got it? Uh, I got I got my Dechalim uh, Zerampin here. But <laughs> see what you did there. Right. Uh, or <laughs> this guy. We're cross-referencing Tehalim 69 verse 8. Psalm 69 8. Because that's that's what's going on here. So my first comment out the gate is not even the brothers of Mashiach were believing in him. So that clears up what we talked about earlier about why they're telling him, go to the place where people are trying to kill you and you need to go there because you need to do your works. So it's like they're telling him that because they don't believe. The same people that are sending him to die. The same people that tell that are telling him go do the works that you really don't have to do but you should anyway because apparently that's what Mashiach is going to do like they don't believe 
So really, what what kind of council is this? When you think about it. But Tehalim sixty nine eight says because for your sake I have borne humiliation, disgrace covers my face. Metzudot comments. Had I turned my back on you to fraternize with your enemies, I would have been loved by them. Oh, my goodness. So, you know what this makes me think is uh, there was a verse that talks about uh, had these works been done in uh, somewhere else. Let me see. I'm going to source it out. Hang on. Oh yeah, what he says he says if they were been done in the Gentiles, they would have already long repented. Yes, before Sodom, like before uh, they something connected with Sodom and Gomorrah. Long ago repented. Hang on, come on, what I, what's happening over here? There we go. Technology acting up on me. A lot of that going around. Let's see. Repented. Got to source it out. Okay. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty one. Do do do. It says, "Oi, Korazin." Oi lecha bait zadea. For if in Zor and Sidon were accomplished the Geberot, the works that were accomplished among you, they would have made Teshuvah long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So that's what I was thinking about when you look at uh, Bethsaida and Korazin, or yeah, Korazin. These are two places where it was talking about uh, Tyre. Or Tyr and Sidon. Like, in other words, if in these places that aren't Jewish, if I did the same works that I'm doing among you, Jews, Yehudim, my people, my covenant people here, the these people would have long ago made Teshuva and sackcloth and ashes, just like Nineveh, when Yonah came to them and asked them to make Teshuva. They made Teshuva immediately in sackcloth and ashes, while at the same time, Yerushalayim, for how do, how, who knows how many years, were prophet after prophet asking them to make Teshuva, and they would not make Teshuva. Ultimately, ended in the destruction of the first temple, the exile into Babylon, you know, and all of that. And it's like, so the nations will make Teshuva before the Jews. And so we're looking here that in Tehillim 69, verse 8, is talking about Hashem saying, if I was to go among the enemies of Israel and hang out with them, it says, uh, I would have been loved by them. That right there is an indictment. Right. And I also want to just kind of, here, here, go out there. They're there. If you look, if you look at the word for covered, 
it, it almost looks like you could rearrange it to, to either Suka or Hasukat. Uh, you see that? Is wrong with you. Do you see that, though? Yes, I see it. <laughs> it it rearranges to Ha-Sukat. Right. Get some help. And I'm going to the Birkat Hamazon for Sukkot. <laughs> because the whole reason for a sukkah is to sit in it and eat bread. Because when you sit in your sukkah and you eat bread, you're going to have to follow another mitzvah called the Birkat Hamazon, which is the grace after meals. And when you say the grace after meals, specifically during Sukkot, there is an additional bracha that we say. Literally, Harakaman Huyakim Lanu et Sukkot David Hanofalet, which is the compassionate one. May he erect for us David's fallen booth, David's fallen sukkah. It uses the word et sukkot, which can be ha sukkot, because we know the aleph tav is really the hey. The first and the last is really the spirit of Hashem. Hey represents the five books of Torah. Aleph tav is everything from aleph to tav. It's also a euphemism for the entire Torah which is also a euphemism for Mashiach Yeshua, who is the Aleph Tav. So when you really say Ha-Sukkot, you're saying the Aleph Tav Sukkah, which would be David's fallen booth, which would be the temple or the body of Mashiach. We know the body of Mashiach was already raised, but we have yet to see the third temple. But... Looking at what you're bringing down over here, you're you're saying cherfa uh, kista. Oh, really? That you're driving away? No, that's the, <laughs> that's outside somewhere. Oh, <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> um, I need to look at the interlinear on this. <laughs> So what are, what are you looking? At? I'm I'm already in the in there later. What are you what are you what are you looking at? Okay, what's that phrase? Cherpa or cherpa kista? Disgrace covered, and then kelama by humiliation pani is my face. So ki alecha na shati cherpa. This grace covers my face. So for your sake, I have borne, which would be the uh, Nasati, which is, right. which is actually from the word Naso, right. which is to be raised. So literally, Hashem right here is saying, for your sake, I bear humiliation. For your sake, I will go into being rejected so that um, disgrace would cover my face. So, in other words, Hashem will is willing to disgrace himself and bear our humiliation. Because the enemies of Yisrael will make teshuva before we do. So there's this idea here 
that if we are presented with the message of teshuva as Yehudim and we're not doing it, we're disgracing Hashem and causing him to bear humiliation. Because his, his own people are not willing to receive him. Can I can I drop this? Please, you know, just drop it. Here, here. Let it go. Here, here. It says so the next the next uh, verse says, For the envy of your house devoured me and the and the disgraces of those who scorn you have fallen upon me. So this is out uh, I don't even know who's the commentator. I didn't even say who who whose comment this is. That's 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 not even right. <laughs> But it says, it says, Kinat Beitecha. So commenting on the Kinat Beitecha, the envy of your house. It says, the Gentiles hate Israel because they envy the presence of God's temple in Jerusalem and the special relationship to Israel, which it symbolizes. Say what? Yes. Alright, so tab on the Gentiles hating the temple. Hang on. Alright, truth, truth overload, but Baruch Hashem, keep going. <laughs> you left off with the uh, they envy the temple. Yeah, I'm just saying, so according to this source, which I, I think it's Red Doc, I'm not sure, I think it's just a continuation. But according to this... Huh? What page are you on? I'm I'm not in the green book. See, I have I have multiple Tehillim uh, sources. <laughs> I'm doing the Mike Tyson face at you right now. This is uh this is the R Scroll series, the Sh the Schottenstein edition, the Book of Psalms with an interlinear translation. That's messed up. But keep going. No, yeah, it just says that. It just says that. Uh, the Gentiles hate Israel because they envy the presence of God's temple in Jerusalem and the special relationship to Israel, which it symbolizes. <laughs> which is funny because it seems like that's in direct contradiction to the comment that had the nations knew, known what was done at the temple on their behalf, they would have surrounded it with armed guards so that it would not be destroyed. Right. So it's just like we're interceding for the whole world, you know, at the temple. Literally during Sukkot, there are sacrifices brought on behalf of the nations, you know. And so there's this idea of all the mitzvot that we do as Jews, we're interceding for the world. We're laying our life down, you know, so to speak. And yet at the same time, the, the Gentiles hate the temple where it stands and uh where it would stand anyway and then there's the uh the picture of they don't like that picture of the relationship that Hashem has with us yeah go ahead no i just i just i just thought that was crazy just reading it yeah and in the green book it says because they envy the beauty of your temple they consume me and humiliate me. So Hashem is not happy about that. And then if you think about the verse for uh, zeal has consumed me for the house of God. 
So it goes on in the Talmudic drop of Zebekim 54b to say, This is the meaning of the present verse. For the envy of your house has consumed me. The envy directed towards me was a result of your house, the temple. So wait, 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 wait. Let's back up. Let's freeze just a minute. Cause you, you, did you hear what you just said? No, I didn't. So you said, you just said, the envy of Hashem's house, i.e., the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, and you're talking about a king of Israel yet again. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so the king, so there's this, there's this, do, you, do you see what I'm getting at here? Okay, wait, the king of Israel is God's house. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that hurt. <laughs> Wow. Don't scorn the king of Israel cuz uh that that's not good. <sighs> okay. Okay. Good catch. This is why it's always great to study with people because you miss all this when you're studying by yourself. But anyway, <laughs> Uh, by the way, the uh, the little synopsis of Tehillim 69, one statement from Mary, Mary, this psalm expresses the cry of the Jewish soul in exile and its prayer for redemption. Okay, that's pretty much where I feel like I'm at right now, so... I guess this is my new favorite song. <laughs> uh, did you read the first comment? No, I did not. Oh, oh! Please do the honors. Nah, you you, you got it. <laughs> you got it. I, just, I just got sideswiped, and I'm just okay. Here we go. So, Talim sixty nine one for the conductor on the Shoshanim by David. Literally on that phrase, on the Shoshanim. This is an instrument shaped like a rose. This is where we get Shoshana, Lily, Rose, like all that. Okay, it says that's the Mazudot. And then alternatively, David prays. <laughs> he prays on the Shoshanim. Literally, all Shoshanim. On behalf of the Jewish people who are like a rose among the thorns and who are being pierced by the thorns. That's from Rashi. So, uh, yeah, the king of Israel praying for the people because the people are being pierced. They're being uh, constantly persecuted. They're being constantly slaughtered, under oppression, undergoing humiliation because they're in exile, subjugated to foreign nations, subjugated to people who envy Hashem, who scorn the temple. Okay. Wow. Rose among thorns. Which is interesting because um, with our... Uh, mikvahs that we got to do for Rosh Hashanah which was like really awesome to do as a shul 
Yeah, that was cool. We did the the hoopa ceremony for those who are new converts, because you know when you undergo a mikvah of conversion, you become brand new. And so if you were married before, and both of you hit the mikvah, you now got to get married again. <laughs> and uh, one of the the statements that are said underneath the hoopah is that your uh, your your wife, your kala that you take, she becomes like a rose among the thorns. That other women are called thorns. Mm. So your wife is the rose, and any other woman is a thorn. So this whole thing about don't commit adultery, it's like don't go pierce yourself. In other words, don't go don't go away from your rose, basically. There's nothing else there for you. So this picture of the the king praying on the Shoshanim, this rose-shaped instrument, and then this is on behalf of the Jewish nation who are surrounded by thorns. This is the picture that Israel is the rose, which is Israel is the wife of Hashem, and there is no other nation for him. That's right. So, I mean, if Hashem expects us not to commit adultery... How much more so is he not going to commit adultery? So this whole thing about you can be not Jewish and be in covenant with Hashem. Not right. Can't happen. Because he he doesn't marry thorns. He has a rose. If possibly Shalom Hashem decides to marry another nation... Hashem would be committing adultery, which would, by default, make Hashem a Torah breaker. He would break his own word, which would mean he would go against himself. And a house divided against itself cannot stand. <laughs> okay. Rukshem. So that was our little uh, step over here. So when we go back to Yochanan chapter 7 and add all that into context... In verse 5, when it says that even the brothers of Mashiach were, for not even the brothers of Mashiach were believing in him. So that that's an indictment that, you know, his brothers who are telling him to go, you need to go to Sukkot, you need to go to Yerushalayim, like, get over there. I know they want to kill you, and I know you you do works that show that you're the Mashiach, but you know we just we really just don't believe you. So just go over there. It's just like they're showing first of all that they're thorns, they're not the rose. They're showing that they're disgracing the sukkah of Hashem, and Mashiach is going to embody this verse that we talked about in Tehillim 69 verse 8 that he's going to cover his face in disgrace. Why is Mashiach secretly going to Sukkot? Because he's bearing humiliation and disgrace that his people, his own rose, his own kala that he chose is underneath the hoopah and saying, no, I don't want to marry you. Which is, I will not make teshuva. If we're saying that we don't want to make teshuva, if we're saying that we don't want to walk in the ways of Hashem, that's saying... Yeah, we know you chose us to be your rose, but we'd rather be a thorn. Good night. So, 
that's kind of um, very, very sad here that, you know, the brothers of Messiah didn't even believe in him. And we would think, see, this is the thing. As human beings, our, our little brains, we think, well, they're not they're not that little, but in the scope of, uh, of understanding the mind of Hashem, they are. We well, think, man, this is... Uh, if I could just say this real quick. We would think someone who grew up in the household of Messiah, they would get it. We would think that someone who spent so much time with Yeshua, they would get it. But it's not about how close you are, literally, to Yeshua. It's not about how much exposure you've had to Yeshua, but it's all about having eyes to see and ears to hear. Hearts and minds to know. That's right. It's really a wondrous thing, you know, when you think about it. It's just like, how could his brothers not know? Like, I'm pretty sure Yeshua, like, dropped all sorts of bombs on Torah. Like, every reason in the world to throw the Shabbat table. I'm pretty sure, like, he was doing that. And like, Whatever, little brother, or whatever, big brother, you're not the Mashiach. You just think you know it all. And it's just like, wait, what? So anyway, you were going to say something? No, I was just going to say, like, I mean, just picture of Yosef. Like, the brothers brother's the same way about Yosef. Yeah, so... Yeah, because at that point, when he showed up to them, they threw him in the pit. Yep. They're like, we don't believe you. You're just a dreamer. Like, we're not going to bow down to you. Wow. So, Yokanon 7-5 directly connects to Yosef appearing to his brothers and them being like, nope, we don't receive you. As a matter of fact, when you expand the scope of that out in the Torah portions, you see in Parshami Kates that the people of Egypt, the people of the world, the people of the exile subjugate themselves to Yosef before or in, in, in even over and above. Oh, come on, man. Yes. His brothers. So Matthew eleven twenty one again, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for even if the miracles were performed and you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. All right, let's go to verse six. <laughs> Therefore, Rabbi Melech HaMashiach says to them, my Sha'ah has not come yet. Your time is always ready. Oh. Today. Today. Boy. What do we say in the uh, in the Shimone S. Rei? Baruch Atah Adonai. Or, no, no, no. Sleeka. We say, uh, Baruch Atah Adonai. So, right before that phrase, which is blessed are you, Adonai, who blesses his people, Israel, with shalom, it says in the previous statement, at every time and at every hour with your shalom. 
May it be good in your eyes. Right. The word is Sha'ah. So, in our Shemona Esrei, that we pray three times a day. And four times if it's on Shabbat because we have the Musaf. We have this bracha that says it is always the hour to bless your people with Shalom. And Mashiach here is saying, my hour has not yet come. It is not time for me to be blessed with Shalom, to bring in the redemption, to be exalted and glorified among the people, among my brothers. But yours is. And the reason that is so is because you got work to do and you need to have your time because you need the empowerment, the enablement to be able to bring in the proselytes to teach the good news, to carry the message of Teshuvah in your hearts. So I know this is coming up in a few verses, but we can go ahead and say it now. This is why Yeshua sends his brothers to the festival of Sukkot ahead of him. He's like, you know what? You guys need to go ahead and go. Y'all need to be there when it starts. I'm going to come behind you. Wow. Because it's always your time, but it's not my time right now. See, I operate on a schedule. I operate on a cycle. I operate with the, the cycle of the feasts, with the appointed times of Hashem. You know, I am the embodiment of Vayikra chapter 23, which teaches you all about the Moadim of Hashem, all about the Sha'ah of Hashem, the times, the hours of Hashem. And so in our modern uh, observance, we have this thing called Zamanim, which is halakhic times. There are apportioned out time periods of the day that that uh, we can see for when we start a fast and end a fast. When do we put on tefillin and uh, tallit? You know, when is shakarit? When is minka? All sorts of stuff. When does Shabbat start? Oh, yeah. When does Shabbat start? And when does Havdalah happen? Those are called Sha'ah. Those points in the time are called Sha'ah. And so you look at Mashiach, he's like a walking Zamanim. He's a walking halakhic time. Yeah. Which doesn't match our American time. I'm just going to throw that out there because when I was doing the Midnight Torah Study Series, midnight literally ranged from like 11 p.m. to like past 1 a.m. Like midnight could be anywhere in that time frame. Yep. And I'm like, wait, what? Midnight is not 12 a.m.? No, yeah, it's um, it's literally the, um, like, they, I mean, they, they talk about it in, like, the first couple pages of, of Berachot. Uh, they talk about, like, that the, whether the, how, how did the watches fall? Was it four watches during the night or was it three watches during the night? And was it, was it three was it three watches of four hours or was it four watches of three hours? So like they really didn't know, but basically, um, I think they, the consensus was that it was three watches of four hours each. And so like mid midnight would fall between the, the second watch, you know, sometime in the second watch, it wouldn't be the first, it wouldn't be the first watch, but sometime in the second watch. So like you think about like, okay, so night falls like it, at seven, so that's four hours. That's eleven. So yeah, it's like a, between eleven and you know, count four hours from there, like two o'clock or something. You know, 
So it's like, yeah, that's the middle of the night. <laughs> you know? So when we look at, uh, <laughs> if we look at Luke 12, 38, it says that, um, and if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. So it's talking about blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. And so you think about this idea of being awake throughout the night. You know, we got the second watch, the third watch. You know, that's already talked about in the context of the Gospels. So looking at that, we're talking about like midnight tour study and, and beyond. The other thing I was going to mention about this verse um it almost kind of sounds like a reference to, uh, you know, today, if you hear his voice, kind of kind of thing. You said there were four watches, right? Well, that, that uh, I can't remember what exactly, like, I remember they were just discussing, like, whether, like, the sages were discussing whether or not it was four watches of three hours, or if it was three watches of four hours. And I said, I believe, don't quote, but I guess I'd have to go back and look. Uh, believe the consensus was that it was three watches of of four hours. Okay, I believe that's that's what it was. So the beauty the beauty of that is you always find conflicting uh, opinions in the Talmud, and to us we can't really reconcile sometimes the conflicts, but it's both, you know, and it's just like how can it be both, and it's just like well. Uh, we don't understand that in our finite minds, but, you know, when it comes to the mind of Hashem, it's just kind of like, how how is the ram of the Akedah that was provided, how is that ram called Isaac? Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, but it was a ram. And then knowing the fact that the ram represented the lamb, the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. So it's like the, the ram is Yeshua. And it's like, no, the ram is Yitzhak. And it's like, well, yes. That's why there are two lambs that are brought every single day as a continual elevation offering. And that offering is called the Akedah. And at the same time, that Akedah offering, which is the morning and the evening lamb, is uh, more officially called the Tamid offering. Man, what is up with this? I'm going to keep uh, trying to patch in each payload here, and I'm going to keep going. Well, no, I'm not going to keep going. I'm going to wait for him. Yeah, wait for him. Hey, you there? Yes, sir. Okay, so I was saying that, you know, we're looking at the Akidah, we're looking at the Tamid offering, the morning and the evening lamb, Yeshua and Yitzhak. So those are seemingly very conflicting, very different things. But in the mind of Hashem, they're actually one. And Benny B actually talks about this. I believe it's in his commentary on Parsha Bo, where he talks about how the uh, the Pesach lamb, the red heifer, the Akedah, and the Tamid offering are all one sacrifice. So uh, he either talked about it there or uh, I can't remember which uh, 
tour portion he brought that out on but he was talking about how all the sacrifices are called uh they're all facets of one single diamond and uh we kind of ex I, I extended that into you know rabbi griffin's elucidation that he always brings up about why did the apostles continue to make sacrifices after the resurrection of yeshua because it's the same sacrifice basically but anyway, all that to say with the conflicting opinions of is it three watches of four hours or four watches of three hours. If you look at Matthew 14, 25, it talks about a fourth watch. And this is when Yeshua came to them walking on the sea. And literally the commentary on that verse says that this is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Three hours. So I'm going to go ahead and submit that it's probably both as far as the back and forth opinion. But right. we do have codification in Matthew that there is a, uh, a precedent here for the four hours or the four watches of three hours. And at this well, it's, watch, it's, it's technically the time move for the time move. So. Uh, wow. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Get you some. <laughs> so run and tell. Huh? So run and tell that. Run and tell that. Homeboy, homeboy. Um, so yeah, so Yeshua basically, because you know, midnight Torah study is said to be from midnight to 3 a.m. Like 3 a.m. is a loose term for whatever the frame of midnight is. And so, if you think about this, when Yeshua is coming to them walking on water, it's after the time frame of midnight tour study. It's like you've been you've been up studying Torah for a couple of hours now, and here I come walking on the water. <laughs> so now we're kind of getting to see why Melik David did not sleep, because. <laughs> Remember the Ruach HaKodesh woke him up at midnight by playing on the Kinor. You know, the wind would blow through and cause the, the harp to make it sounds. And then that would cause him to wake up. And then he would start his midnight Torah study. And so if you think about when he would do the midnight Torah study and then right after that, you enter into the fourth watch, and this is where Yeshua comes walking on the water. So it's like, here's some sewed <laughs> for you. I don't know. I just can't help but think about that. So if you've been studying Torah, but now let's really study some Torah. Okay, so my time has not yet come. Your, Your time. time is always ready. Yes, sir. All right, Brooke Shim. So, you got anything else you want to drop on that? Um, that, no, no. All right, how you doing on uh, energy? You good? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm just, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm needing some water. So I'm gonna... All right, take a water break. I'm going to go ahead and uh, just throw some uh, flash grenades real quick. All right. Ken, I'll, I'll still be able to hear you. All right. So 
what I'm going to drop right now is some um, pictures that I've taken from Mashiach, the W book. And uh, let's see here. So we got faith means this page 86. Faith means many different things to many people. The number of religions in the world today is a fair indication of this. <laughs> wow. Understatement of the day or the night. But faith is much more than religion. Come on. I love that because so many different times when you're in conversations with people, colloquially, faith and religion are connected. But it's like, OK, faith isn't religion. OK, let's like get out of that box here. Faith is much more than religion. It is the fundamental instrument in the way the world operates. Without faith, there can be no interaction between people. And this is why Yaakov would be led to write faith without works is dead because it would indicate that you have no relationship with the one that you say you serve. So then it says a person must have a certain amount of faith and trust in others even if only minimal, in order to carry on social, emotional, and financial relationships. But faith is so much more crucial when dealing with matters of religion. So then I'm going to drop down over here to um, the bottom paragraph on the same page. One who attaches himself to the true Zadokim has true faith. So Messiah Yeshua in Yochanan chapter 15 says, I am the true vine. He's saying, I am the true Zodic. And if you basically attach yourself to me, you will have the truest of faith. Then it says, oh, well, Matt, this same page in this book right here, page 86, literally says Mashiach is the true Zodic. <laughs> yeah, true vine in my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be full in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down. So, Yochanan 5, 1 through 2. Wait, Yochanan 15, 1 through 2, and uh, 9 through 13. I was about to say, what? That was only going to mean that that's written twice in Yochanan, which would have been cool. That would have been fine with me. <laughs> I can read that all day and be like, set. So... In this book, in this W book here about the Mashiach, it's, <laughs> it's testifying to Yochanan 15. Like, in other words, Yeshua, since he is the Mashiach, uh, he's not lying when he says this, this passage. <laughs> because it literally is codified in Jewish literature that Mashiach is the true Zodic. And then you have to attach yourself to him. In order to have true faith. And then it says in the next statement, 
one who accepts Mashiach will receive from him pure faith and will not have misplaced his faith. Hence, the Zadokim of every generation reflect the Mashiach. One who has faith in the true Zadokim has pure faith and can grow spiritually with it. Lakute Maharon, Volume 2, Chapter 8, Verse 8. And I love the discussion that we got into while we were drawing this earlier today, where we were talking about how all these Mashiachs that different sects of Judaism believe in, you know, you got your Nachman, Rabbi Nachman of Breslev, you got Menachem Schneerson of Chabad, which, by the way, most of these people did not proclaim themselves to be Mashiach, but his followers did. So there's something there to that because you can't have a king in Israel unless the people appoint him. Any other way a king would take his throne would be uh, unkosher because he would be considered a tyrant. You know, the king of Israel has to be willingly um, subjugated to. Like, you have to willingly devote yourself to this guy. Or should I say Hashem? You have to willingly subjugate yourself to the will of Hashem in order to have a king. But we were talking about how if you look at the fact that there are there are Jews in the world today who follow other people that they claim are Mashiach that are a part and outside of Yeshua HaMashiach, it is literally going with this understanding that the Zadokim of every generation are reflections of Mashiach. That means that there is something about Rebbe Nachman or Rebbe Menachem Schneerson or whoever else there is, there's something of Mashiach Yeshua reflected in them that these people who are following them, they have an essence and a, and a facet of Yeshua HaMashiach because in order for them to follow and proclaim these people as Mashiach, they have to have a reflection of the true Mashiach. And so that's kind of like crazy to kind of think or talk about. But, you know, when you really think about that, like follow that through. You have this person here who you think is Mashiach because he's a he's exotic. And when you attach yourself to him, you're you're attaching yourself to a, a place of pure faith because this person that you're attaching yourself to and who you're following is going to lead you in Torah. They're going to lead you to Hashem. Now, there's probably many arguments that are out there saying, well, when did Rebbe Nachman ever truly lead people in Torah? Or when did Rebbe Menachem Sneerson truly lead people in Torah? Because if they did, we would have probably had a temple. You know, because if the Mashiach is going to lead his people, then we're going to be mastering our Yetzahara, which would get rid of baseless hatred. And then we would all be unified and working together as a true body of Hashem. So obviously there's that that missing and lacking element, but that can even be stated and attested to by the followers of Yeshua because his followers are more divided than I think any anybody, you know, right? Because we got followers of Yeshua who go to churches. Then we got followers of Yeshua who go to synagogues. Then we got followers of Yeshua who don't do anything at all. It's just like, where where's the unity over here? So, but anyway, uh, to kind of go back to this little tangent we're on, 
if you think about the fact of those people who are following these other Mashiachs, they, in a sense, when their own Mashiach points to the true Mashiach, Yeshua, their followers are going to go with them, Bezrat Hashem. Because if they're truly following them, they're truly attaching themselves to him, it's just kind of like, by default, these little offshoots are pulled in. So it's like drawing in the corners of a garment. So that was kind of a little uh, neat idea to kind of think about. And, and, and to your point, to your point, um, they talk about, well, I've kind of mentioned that, that whole thing about judgment and the, the other, very other form of judgment. Heshbon Din and Heshbon. His, his, the rabbi, I remember the rabbi now. It wasn't a lot of them, but it was another rabbi I was listening to. Okay. But uh, he says, he said that without, he didn't say a divine specifically, but when he started talking about this, I was getting the picture of like divine and like, like the branches and, and being the offshoots and basically just, just seeing this come, come that uh, realization because he, what he was saying was that. That basically you, you yourself, your your performance of mitzvahs or and or your lack thereof performance of mitzvahs affects the other branches around you. Mm. I.e. so much to the fact that if somebody sees you doing a mitzvah, they're like, oh man, I gotta be like him because, you know, he's so on fire. And I, you know, and I, I gotta be like my brother, you know, you, you inspire all the other branches around you or all the other the, the twigs or whatever around you. Um, and twofold, you do a, a sin, uh, you affect that same offshoot or branch in the, in the, in the opposite way. Wow. Then they say, oh, well, you know, what good is Torah study if this person is such a rotten person or what good is, is doing kind deeds if, if, uh, all I want is something in return or, or what good is, you know, anything, you know, he's. This, this guy, he got such bad me dough. Why do I want to be a Jew? You know, uh, it's anything that is just, is just a, a sin at that point affects your, your surroundings so much to the point that it was kind of so funny because like, just as long as the same thinking, like Dr. Shakal, like a couple of days chimed in and was saying, if you want to change spiritually, you have to start with yourself, be a master over yourself, then over your family, then, you know, you can impact the world. Wow. And I love that. I love that because it truly, it truly has to start. It truly has to start with you and at home. So if you're wondering why, you know, Hashem cuts you off from the branches, because He doesn't want the rest of the branch to cast out with you. You know, Ooh. He to, he's the he's the preserver. Mm. Yeah. Oh, you know that word preserver yeah. is notes there. That's it. I know. Wow. Okay, so just for the listeners, because this is kind of an inside thing here between Ishpela and I, because we've done this and it's ridiculous. But Nozer is the word for preserver, as in the 13 attributes of Hashem that you can read about in Exodus. And um, Nozer is the same word if you change the vowel points as Netzer, which means branch. Which is the root of Nazareth, which is Nazareth, which is where Yeshua comes from. So Yeshua is called the branch. So anyway, preserver, branch, notes there. There you go. Selah. Um, but, you know, as I was talking about this crazy thing where people who are following these other Mashiachs who are reflections of the true Mashiach, 
if you read the letter to the Corinthians, the one who does call first Corinthians, even though it's probably not the first one, um, because he alludes to the fact that he wrote previously to them. But anyway, for the sake of semantics, first Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, you are to imitate me just as I imitate the example of Mashiach or follow me as I follow Mashiach. In other words, Shaul could be set up as a Mashiach for this congregation and Corinth because if they follow him, because he is so much a reflection of Mashiach Yeshua, they would be by default following the Mashiach Yeshua. And so you have this idea where if this person that you're proclaiming that is Mashiach truly does follow Hashem, truly does keep the Torah, truly does illuminate you in the deeper aspects of Torah, they are literally a reflection of Mashiach Yeshua. But then if you're going to stop there, though, that's a problem because if you are not really opening yourself up to what Hashem truly has revealed, which he has truly revealed, the Mashiach of Israel, Mashiach Yeshua. This is why us who are in Lapid, us who truly know who Mashiach is, we can't just go, oh, well, if we can, if reflections of Mashiach Yeshua are acceptable, then fine, I'll just go and convert to an even more orthodox synagogue, so you think, because I don't know how you're going to get more orthodox than Sar Shalom, but that's neither here nor there. But anyway, just in case you get that idea in your head that you want to go to another shul and follow uh, a sect of Judaism who doesn't believe in Yeshua, but they believe in another person as Mashiach, you can't do that because Hashem has already shown you who the true Mashiach is and you can't go over and recover your eyes. You can't go over and undo your circumcision. I mean, you can if you want to, but... But uh, the last person who undid their circumcision got kicked out of the garden. And uh, that wasn't a fun time at all. But anyway, but for those who don't know Mashiach Yeshua, for those who haven't been shown Mashiach Yeshua, by default, the Mashiach that they're following, that's truly leading them in Torah, that's truly leading them in the example that's set by Mashiach. I mean, there you go right there. It's like Hashem is is his like in his wondrous great mercy. Even those who don't know about Yeshua, if they're following Torah and Mitzvot, connecting themselves to Azotic and following in the ways of Hashem, because that is so much a reflection of Mashiach, when the fullness of Mashiach Yeshua is revealed, they're by default gonna be brought in and attached because they're connected to the vine. They're connected to the branch. Just like Corinth was connected to Shaul to be connected to Mashiach Yeshua. It's kind of like a middleman for the middleman. Because, you know, Mashiach is our middleman to connect us to Hashem. Anyway, that that's just kind of something that I wanted to just throw out there while we had a little bit of time. Well, uh, the other thing I was going to add to that was, um, you know, another another kind of facet that I, that I love is... Um, and when Moshe was looking for the rock after Miriam had died. Oh, come on. He could he couldn't he didn't he himself could not recognize the rock. Right? Right. So we're talking about Moshe 
the leader of the Jewish people. The one who stood in the rock. The one who stood in the rock could not recognize the rock. So much to this... To the, to the fact that he kept walking up from rock to rock and was like, spring up, oh well. Oh no, that's not it. Spring up, oh well. Oh no, you're not the rock. Spring <laughs> up, oh well. Oh, you're, you're not the rock. And Congress, and each time he would stop at a rock, some people would stop and stay behind and say, just make water come out of this rock. Hmm. And he's like, well, no, that's not the rock, you know? And then he'd go to another rock and say the same thing. And then another group of people would stay behind and say, no, just make water come out of this rock. And he's like, no, that's not the rock, you know? This goes on for a while until finally Moshe is like, you know what? Fine, whatever. I'll just make water come out of this rock. And it happened to be the rock, right? Ooh, right. So then, then we all know the infamous story. He strikes the rock. But the Midrash also says that when he struck the rock, you know, blood and water came out. Right. And not only did that wa- that rock flow, but all the rocks Float oh, with water. snap. So there's just that same tie in there. <laughs> wow. You really you rocked about, it on that. <laughs> well, and then you think about, you know, what the culmination of, 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 of this whole drage is getting at, you know. Uh, the, you know, when Mashiach ultimately says, you know, at a out of his belly will come out rivers of living water, you know? So. Right. All right, here, here. I want to uh, bring to literally the table First Yochanan chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Havarim, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So if you think about this, when you were elucidating Moshe going to this rock, spring up a will. Nope. Okay, spring up a will. He was basically showing us how we test the spirit. You know, is this really the true rock of Hashem? Because Hashem told me I don't have to strike the rock. I need to speak to the rock. And if I speak to the rock, water's going to come forth. So... Let's branch off even furthermore from that, which the people followed Moshe as he was trying to follow Mashiach because he was looking for the true rock to get water from. The people were like, make water come from the rock. It doesn't matter if it's the right one. Moshe himself is like, no, it does matter. But the people are like, no, it doesn't. So just make water come. Really? Right now? Stand by. Hey, Shalom. Welcome back. Hey. <laughs> wow. Okay. So anyway, I was saying that to Moshe, it mattered which rock, but to the people, it didn't. And so um, just kind of going back to First Yochanan 4.1 about testing the spirits, you know, if we're having people proclaim other Mashiachs outside of Mashiach Yeshua, it does matter to us who know that there is a true rock. But if there are people who aren't really understanding who the true rock is, water's still going to come from other rocks. But Yeah, they're going to be like, yeah, that's the rock because it bled. Yeah, so there's that. But anyway, that also points out further truth to Mashiach Yeshua being the true Mashiach because he was the only one who was struck that actually bled blood and water when he was struck. 
You know, like when he was pierced, literally water or blood and water came out of his side to show just like the rock, which blood and water came out of in Parsha uh, Hukats, by the way, that we were elucidating that, you know, Mashiach being pierced in the side, blood and water coming out directly ties back to that Midrash. When Moshe struck the rock, blood first came out and then water. So we see if we put those two together, we're seeing that Mashiach truly is the true rock that was struck by the people of Israel, even though they didn't know it was him. So there is that. So true Mashiachs or true Mashiach over people who have been proclaimed as Mashiach. And by the way, while we're at it, um, my source on this is what the rabbis know about the Messiah. It uh, points out in there that if there are false Mashiachs, so if anyone gets proclaimed a Mashiach, but they're a false Messiah, they're not a true Messiah, they're not the true Messiah, that it all had to do with wealth, had to do with popularity, and affluence which again is wealth so one of the telltale signs that you're believing in a false mashiach is if he's a person who's proclaiming prosperity and and uh like all these beautiful good you know comfortable tithings to you tidings to you they're talking about uh bar Kokhba and um what was the other guy's name who converted to uh, Muslim or Islam? Oh, uh, yeah, what? Uh, it's on tip, it's on tip of my tongue. Uh, uh, Shabbatai Zavi. Shabbatai Zavi. Good night. Okay, so yeah, so people like that, they weren't really leading us to Hashem. They they weren't. I mean, not leading us because we obviously didn't exist when these people were alive but uh, for believers in Yeshua we know that those type of people weren't Mashiachs number one because they're not Yeshua number two because they didn't really lead people in Torah Shabbatai Zavi is all like yeah cancel all the fast don't do Yom Kippur have this sandwich you know and it's just like wait what <laughs> so you know there's this this whole picture here, the false Mashiachs really, the reason why you need to test the spirits, you need to know, are they truly telling you to suffer for the sake of Hashem so that you can bring salvation to the world? Are they truly telling you to go out and make converts? You know? Is the Shema the central and greatest commandment? So there's that. Alright, so we are officially past one hour on part two. So I'm going to go ahead and index that one, even though we've been interrupted quite a bit. So this is concluding part two.